Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. What a great time of worship. It's so good to be with you. How's everyone doing? Are you guys excited to be here today? Yes, I am really excited to be here today. I also want to welcome everybody joining us online, all the millions of you, give or take a few. We're so glad you're here. (laughs) Um, Well, listen, we are in week number 11, if you can believe it or not, of our series called The Book of Luke, Miracles Everywhere. Time just flies by. You know, these last few months... um, Last few months, I've been coaching my son's basketball team, a group of eight, excuse me, a group of 10 eight-year-olds, and we do practice on Tuesdays, games on Saturdays, and it's been a lot of fun, but I got to be honest, it's also been sort of tough, sort of tough. You know, we haven't won that many games, and by many, you can just drop the M. (laughs) And it's a coaching issue. (laughs) A player told me the other day, he said, hey, coach, you're fired. And I said, yeah, you can't fire me. I quit. (laughs) No, I didn't quit. I I probably should. Um, But I will say that we have 10 players, nine of them, it's their first time to ever play basketball. And I'm a first-time coach. So it really, it really is a team of just a bunch of beginners. You know what I mean? And how many know that when you're a beginner, winning isn't always uh, measured by a scoreboard? Sometimes winning is just getting better. And every week, most of the players are getting better. <laughs> um, but that's the goal, right? To get better. How many of you know that in life, we're all just beginners? Look at your neighbor and say, we're just beginners. That's sort of been my little mantra to begin 2022. There's something about that that's really honest for me. To know that I'm not always going to be right. I'm not always going to know what to do. To know that there's going to be battles that I come up against in life that I'm not prepared for. That I can't win on my own. To know that there are battles that, that truly I do need Jesus for that because I'm a beginner, I'm going to make all sorts of mistakes. We're all just beginners, right? I'm thankful though, on the flip side of that, is that we do learn in life. I'm thankful that we gain in wisdom, that we mature. There are levels to beginnerism. Is that a word? Beginnerism? There are levels to beginnerism. But there's something about just acknowledging the fact that In some ways, I'm always just a beginner. By humbling myself to beginner level, it always keeps me grounded as a person who needs to be reliant and dependent on God. And that I need him to work in my life every day because you and I are just beginners and we need God's help every day. Can I get a witness? So today I want to talk about the power of Jesus because he is not a beginner. He's all-powerful. He has all authority. And his power runs through everything. 
I want to talk about the power of Jesus to help us in the battles that we face in life. I, want to, I know some of us in here are facing battles right now, and you're like, I need the power of Jesus right now. You don't understand, Tim. I need it today. And I want to talk about the power of Jesus that works to overcome the power of the enemy. And so today I've titled this message, Jesus and the Devil. And here's the thing. You're like, you have to understand something before we even get into this, that there's actually no power struggle between Jesus and the devil. There's no power struggle. There's no power struggle between God and the devil. The enemy is actually no match. God has complete authority. And I heard another pastor say it like this one way, and it was really helpful for me. He said, hey, the devil is not the opposite of God. Sometimes we see them as like the arch enemies. He says, no, 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 no. The devil is the opposite of Michael the archangel, meaning Remember, if you know the story, Satan is a fallen angel, which is a created being of God. So God created beings with free will. And some of these are supernatural beings that have power. This is the role of the devil. So the devil is not the opposite of God. He's the opposite of an angel, which means that God, God is not worried about the devil. Now, I say it way too often, but just as much as there is a God in heaven that loves you and is for you in every way possible, there is also an enemy in hell that hates you and wants to destroy you and your life. It's a sobering reality, but thanks be to God for the power of Jesus who has come to defeat the works of the enemy. Amen. So if you're like, hold on, serious, are we talking about the devil today? Well, technically we're talking about Jesus, but we're going to deal with the devil. Okay. Um, Maybe you're thinking, I don't even know if I really believe that the devil is real. And I get that. Um, I would just invite you if you're kind of like, I have questions around evil, around the idea of a, an enemy and an adversary. I'd just say, you know, open your heart a little bit today to receive some things because I want to show you a few things from, from the B-I-B-L-E because that's the book for me. Um, <clears throat> specifically, I want to show you the primary things Jesus came to do, all right? So we're going to jump into this. The book of Luke, we've been traveling through it. We're in Luke chapter 8 today. We're going to be also in Luke 4. But Luke 8, Jesus brings the spiritual battle to the forefront of the issues that he showed up to deal with. And this is actually really, really important for everybody in the room, no matter where you're at in your faith journey. But check this out. Luke 8, verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. So that's some rough stuff, right? And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice. Now this is the demon speaking. He says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Remember, the devil is no match for Jesus. The demon is afraid right here of Jesus. Now, the story goes on. I'm not going to complete reading it because it's kind of a long story. But Jesus casts out many demons from this man, sets this man free, radically transforms this man's life. And this is not the first time that this has happened in the book of Luke. We see this recurring theme of Jesus encountering demons and casting them out. Luke chapter 4, we rewind just the tape a little bit back to Luke chapter 4, verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum. How many of y'all were here last week? Raise your hand. If you weren't here last week, that's okay. I, don't, I still love you. Uh, but we talked about Capernaum last week, didn't we? A town in Galilee. On the Sabbath, Jesus taught the people. 
they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Everyone say authority with authority. That was good. I like, to, I like to always point out authority, if you've noticed that. I like to point out the authority that Jesus has in life. Because, for example, when we pray in Jesus' name, why are we praying in Jesus' name? Because Jesus' name has authority over all things. And it's only by his authority that anything supernatural can happen. So it's through the authority of Jesus. In verse 33, it says, In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. So a, a man possessed by a demon shows up to church. All right? He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. So once again... This man, a different guy, his man, this man's life was radically transformed by the power of Jesus. So there's a few things that I think are important for us to talk about here. I'm going to teach out of the Bible a little bit today. But first of all, this, is, this example in Luke chapter 4, you got to know when it's happening in the story. It's right at the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. He's just come out of the wilderness. He's just announced his, uh, his, who he is. And here we have him drawing some battle lines and starting to crush some evil right out of the gates. Jesus is like, enough is enough. And if you're paying attention to the ministry of Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, it's very pointed at putting the enemy in his place, defeating sin, defeating darkness, and all the works of the devil. That's what Jesus is up to. And so the reality of a spiritual battle taking place is very much at the center of the ministry of Jesus. So this raises some interesting questions for some of us in the room. I really believe it's some of us. Questions like, what do you mean demons? Are demons real? Are demons still happening today? Is the devil real? You may be here and you're thinking, what are you talking about? Of course the devil is real. I, I believe the devil is real. Seriously, asking that question, Tim. I, if you're there... Great. But here's what I know. There's a lot of people that are like, I'm not sure the devil is real. Because check this out. Barna and Pew Research um, findings show that most people believe in some form of a creator God. Not necessarily the God of the Bible, but some form of a creator God. 90% of people in America believe in some form of a God. But only 60% believe in some form of a devil. Which means a lot more people believe in God than believe in the devil. Which reminds me of the brilliant quote from French poet Charles Baudelaire. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Beliefs concerning heaven and hell are very similar to beliefs concerning God and the devil. Most people believe in God and heaven. About half the people who believe in heaven believe in hell. So therefore, you have a lot less people that believe in things like the devil and hell because there's a lot of mythology around those things. We'll get into that in a moment. But Jesus talked about these things quite a bit, didn't he? I mean, if you think about it, if you know these things, to be clear, I'm going to cover a little bit of ground for you in case you have questions. But to be clear, the subject of hell specifically, Jesus didn't talk about it a whole lot, but he did talk about it enough to understand that it is a very important topic, that it's a real place, that it's something that he wants to warn people of. But the notion that Jesus talked about hell more than heaven is actually an incorrect assumption. Even though a lot of preachers out there say, hey, Jesus talked about more 
hell more than heaven, that's not exactly true. I guess it works if you're trying to scare the hell out of people to get them in heaven. <laughs> that methodology may work, but if you really want to teach the Bible accurately, it doesn't really work. You see, Jesus actually spoke more about our eternity with God than he did about our eternity separated from God. That doesn't mean that he didn't make important emphasis about the place of hell, but he also didn't talk about heaven and the pearly gates and gold roads that we read about in Revelation. He was actually always speaking about the idea of an eternity with God in the context of a relationship with God when he's inviting us to join him in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus spoke about eternity in the context of a relationship with God in most instances. And I think that's important to know. Doesn't mean that he doesn't talk about heaven and hell, but he's wanting to talk about the spiritual battle over your soul and, and the relationship that it requires for you and I to have in order to have assurances and peace with God. So Jesus is dealing with the enemy a whole bunch when he shows up. And one of the things, one of the verses that I've always used uh, to show a stark contrast between the idea of a battle taking place between really even you, not just God and the enemy, but, but us and the enemy is in John 10.10. 10. A lot of you know this verse, but it says this. It says, the thief, a.k.a. the devil, Lucifer, the enemy, Satan, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the purpose and intention of what the enemy is up to right? The enemy intends to do, he, he intends to destroy every good work that the Father is doing, including you, because you are a good work that the Father has done. In fact, in Philippians 1, it says that, it says that God is going to carry, Jesus is going to carry on to completion the good work that he began in you, so therefore you are a good work, and the enemy does not want those good works to continue. He's out to destroy him. But Jesus says, and going on in John 10, 10, but I have come to give you life and give it to the full, so Jesus clearly came to deal with the devil, but he also came for us. The real reason he came, the primary purpose he came, was for you in order to give you something. Along the way of coming for you, he's going to have to kick some evil tail. Are you with me? He wants, though, he really wants you, though. He wants all of you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you salvation. He wants to give you heaven. He wants to give all of that to you. That's what Jesus' primary purpose is. It's to give you more life. How many you're thankful for that. I'll never forget when uh, Karis was about five years old and Christy and I were doing the dishes and uh, one of us off the cuff comment about Satan as you do when you're doing the dishes um, <clears throat> from the devil. But sweet little Karis cuts into the conversation with a big old knife and says, hey, daddy, who's Satan? as if it was some distant relative she hadn't known about yet. <laughs> Who's that guy? How many of you guys know we're all just beginners? Try and tell a five-year-old about the devil, right? And I remember Emily, who was about seven at the time, standing there emphatically going, and he lives down there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, eh, not exactly. There is a mythology around the enemy. There is a mythology around hell saying things like he lives down in the center of the earth, that he has a horn and tail, and all those sorts of things. And these things have really confused us about how evil works in the world. 
I was actually uh, watching, I mean, we, we go through Alpha every year, you guys know this, and um, there's an amazing clip in Alpha about this that I thought, hey, for us to even understand evil more and how it works, I think this little two-minute clip will really be helpful for us. And so I'm just going to show this clip. It's from Alpha to help us have a better understanding of this concept of evil. Check this out. I was an atheist. I had great difficulty believing that God could exist. I became a Christian. I came to believe in God. But then somebody said to me that there's a devil. And I thought, come on. It's hard enough to believe there's a God, let alone to believe that there's a devil. Part of the problem is that I had a false image of God and of the devil. I had a picture of God as an old man with a beard sitting on a cloud. Similarly, I had a false image of the devil. I thought of the devil with horns, a tail, clothing hooves, and a pitchfork. Of course, those images of God and of the devil are not only unbelievable, they're also unbiblical. The New Testament talks about a, a triple alliance, like the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world's the enemy around us. It's all the evil that's around us, the world that's turned away from God. The flesh is the enemy within us. The flesh is not the body. There's nothing evil about the body. It's the evil desires that come from within each of us. And the devil is the enemy above. Jesus clearly believed in the existence of the devil. He taught his disciples to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Jesus himself was tempted by the devil. So, scripture talks about the existence of the devil. Also, tradition, Christians down the ages have always believed in spiritual forces of evil. And you may have had this experience, particularly if you've had a powerful experience of the Holy Spirit. You suddenly find that there seem to be all kinds of things coming against you, temptations that you weren't really aware of before. There's also common sense. How do we explain so much evil in the world? We live in a world where, where terrible things happen. Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire was part of the UN peacekeeping force in Rwanda, and he witnessed the genocide there in 1994. Because he had only a small number of officers, he was unable to stop it. Afterwards, he wrote a book, and he called it Shake Hands with the Devil. He wrote this, I know that there's a God, because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him, I've smelled him, I've touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore I know that there's a God. Thank you, Nicky Gumbel. I love that guy. Uh, he's right, we have such a false image of God at times, but also of the enemy. And we often picture it as sort of this epic battle, right, of God on one shoulder and the devil on another, and who's going to win, and, and, and that's not how it works. I, I love his three things, and I just wanted to touch on those, but the three different ways that evil works, and I think this is really good. I'll put them on the screen in case you just want to catch this today, but it says this. The first one is the world, that, that the enemy around us, that, that this is the way the evil works through the, through, the, through the powers of the world, that people have turned away from God and against God, so the world positions itself and against the ways of God. 1 John 2.16 says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So evil comes at us in ways through the world, right? Which the world isn't necessarily 
bad, but there is a current, a river. Imagine two rivers colliding, going in different directions. One is the way of God. One is the way of the world. There is a river that will win that battle. Number two, the flesh, the evil desires that come from within us, right? It says this in Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh They are in conflict, meaning there is a spiritual battle taking place with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. How many times do we just want to do whatever we want? He's like, no, 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 you got to walk by the Spirit, seeking His presence, following in His ways. So first, evil works through the ways of the world. It works through the world that is postured against God. Second, it works through our own flesh, the desires that are contrary to the Spirit. And thirdly, it works through the devil. The devil is the spiritual force that, force that can attack us, right? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, we got to be aware the enemy wants to destroy your life. So we're, we're kind of getting deep into this, but you may be like saying, why are we talking about this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because if we're going to talk about Jesus, if we're going to go through the gospel, we can't ignore one of the primary purposes that Jesus came. Jesus came to defeat the work of the enemy in order to give us life. There's a quote from Leslie Newbigin. And I, a writer and a theologian, I, I quote him often, but listen to this. He says, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, not to submit to them. His whole ministry is portrayed in the Gospels as a mighty onslaught on the works of the devil. Whether these took the form of sickness or demon possession among the people or in the form of hypocrisy, cruelty, and hard-heartedness among rulers, his whole ministry is interpreted as the in-breaking reign of God into the life of the world to release of those who Satan has bound. Mm-hmm, amen, Leslie, with two S's. <laughs> In case you thought that was a typo. So the destroying works of the enemy are no comparison to the destroying work of the enemy by the Lord, right? And it happens in all forms. It's not just destroying, I mean, we read about demon possession, but it's not just that. It's about casting out all forms of evil, all forms of darkness, which would include hatred and coldness towards God. It would include all sorts of things that, that would go against the ways of God. Jesus is the catalyst to the inbreaking reign of God in your life and in this world. He wants to drown out despair and discouragement, worldly desires, and even the spiritual battles that I know some of you are facing. So I want you to think about the battles that you face. Some of these are battles that you've just come to accept as a reality of your life. But how many of you know that God wants to do something in your life to rid you of the things that you think can never be rid of in your life? He wants to give you freedom, right? Jesus, Jesus has the power not only to break chains, but to set you free. Jesus has the power to change you in an instant or he can change you over the long haul. Jesus wants to give you more life. And if you are being drowned out in discouragement and despair, if you have a battle that has been waging war against you, Jesus has something to say about that. There's a consistency in the conversations I'm having these days. 
You know, the experts say that the last two years as we went through this pandemic are the equivalent emotionally of 10 years. And I feel like every conversation eventually gets to a point where we're talking about a battle that we're going through. I feel like I've went through 10 battles. You know, whether it's a battle with anxiety or a battle with anger or a battle with depression or a battle with sin or a battle with others or a battle with hatred or a battle with our money or a battle with our beliefs or our shame or our guilt. There's all sorts of battles, right, with exhaustion, with decision fatigue, with, with politics. We're just, we're done with so many things. There's a battle that keeps happening in our life. Some of it's, it's a battle with purpose, like what am I really doing? I'm so worn out trying to figure my life out. And here's the thing about spiritual battles. We all have them. No matter your age, no matter, no matter your background, no matter what your bank account says or how big your house is, no matter if you're white, black, or brown, everybody has battles. Some of us have had our unfair share of them. I get that. But we all face battles. And I get it that some of these battles are bigger than you ever expected. And that's where Jesus shows up and says, hey, you know what? That one that you can't handle on your own, why don't you just hand that battle to me? Because how many of you know that we're all beginners and we need God's help? You can't fight this battle on your own. In fact, you can't fight it at all without Jesus. You know, next Sunday, um, next Sunday we're going to be having some baptisms. And... I don't know, we have a handful of people that are going to be baptized. In Acts twenty two sixteen, it says this. It says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Wash away the work of the enemy in your life, calling on his name. Now, the only reason I bring this up is because I don't know if there's a better picture in the Christian faith of of a person defeating sin than baptism, right? Like it is this picture of saying, the enemy can't have me, Jesus, I'm yours. And a lot of us have been baptized and we can attest to that and we can give story to that, but a lot of us, maybe we haven't. And I would say to you, like there's no better drop kick to the face of the enemy than getting dunked with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you tweet that. There really isn't. And some of us, you know, we need to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, if you've given your life to Jesus, I'd just say, what are you waiting for? Tell the enemy, you can't have me. Tell the enemy, you can't have me. I'm Jesus. Jesus, I'm yours. Just like that scripture says, what are you waiting for? I want to go back to that statement in Luke chapter 4. The demon-possessed man asks, what do you want with us? Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? <laughs> the answer to that question is yes. That's exactly what Jesus has come to do. He's come to destroy the works of the enemy and he's come to win the battle. And instead of me getting fired up, and instead of me screaming at the top of my lungs about how we have victory in Jesus, which we do, instead of me trying to conjure up a bunch of emotions, here's what I know, is I know we're facing battles in this room. 
And I know we're tired of it. I know a lot of them we don't like to even talk about. We don't even want to admit it. We're just going to deal with it on our own. I gave you a blank card this morning on your chair with a pen. And I gave it to you because I want you to just write your battle down. I just want you to write it down. What's the enemy been doing to you? What's the enemy doing to try and hurt you, destroy you, to, to steal from you? What's that thing? No one's going to see this card. You can even cover your hand over the card so that person next to you won't see it like they're cheating on a test, all right? No, this is for you. Don't look at anybody else's card. Just look at, just focus on yourself. Write down your battle. Because whether it's a battle with the world or with the flesh or with the devil himself, it's all a work of the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy us. So what is it? Maybe it's a financial battle or a sin temptation, flesh battle, maybe it's depression or anxiety or exhaustion or self-worth. Or what about comparison? I see that one as a big battle for so many people today. We get angry and envious and frustrated when we compare ourselves to others. What is your battle? Write it down. Remember the, the ministry of Jesus comes alongside our battle to defeat the works of the enemy. I want, to hear, I want you to hear some encouragement from God's word today as you write this down. 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, God's going to give you a way. He's going to give you the ability and the strength. Luke 10, 19 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Jesus said this to his first disciples, his first 72. You want to talk about beginners of all beginners. And he's looking at those beginners and he's saying, listen, I've given you the power to overcome all the power of the enemy. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world, you ask? Only the one who believes in Jesus, the Son of God. And then Revelation 16, 20. You guys ready for this one? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You see, the enemy always gets crushed in the end. God's word is good. And here's the thing. Here's what I want you to do is once you write that down today, once you've identified it, before you leave today, I want you to crush that in a way. I want you to destroy that. He's out to destroy you. Maybe it's time for us to do a little bit of destroying of him. And, and here's the thing. I know it's just, a, it's just an act. It's just something that we can do. But I want you to take that card and I want you to tear it up into as many pieces as you can to just say, Lord, I, as you do it, I want you to say, Jesus, will you help me now? I want, I want victory over this battle. I want victory. I need you to help me have victory over this battle. So when you tear it up, that's what you're praying. That's what you're doing. And you can, you can do that before you leave. You can do that when you get home. But I want to encourage you to do it today. And, and you might do it here in just a minute. I'm going to start hearing papers. And you're going to have all this paper in your hand. You're like, what am I supposed to do with this now? Listen, 
He says, cast all your cares upon me, all your burdens upon me. So when we worship today, you're just gonna come up and you're just gonna drop it at the altar right here. You're just gonna throw this on these little rugs right here. And we're just gonna fill this up with all these battles and we're gonna put them at the feet of Jesus. I know this isn't really the feet of Jesus, but it's our altar today in the Tower Theater that we're using and making it the feet of Jesus. We're just gonna drop our battles right there. And you're just gonna let it go. And here's the deal. I don't know. God sometimes works in a breakthrough instant and the battle may be won. And sometimes God works through the long haul. It's a slow burn. It's teaching you perseverance and endurance. And so, you know what? I just believe that no matter which way he takes this battle, you, are, you will have victory through Jesus because that's what Jesus does. The enemy has no power over Jesus. So write it down, then destroy it. We got to name it before we can defeat it. I'm just going to pray for us. When you're ready, you can just start tearing that up. Jesus, we thank you for the battles that you've already won in this room. We just pray that, Father, we would rely on you. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you start to move in our hearts in a way that just allows faith to rise up in us in a way that says, God, we really want to entrust these battles to you. We don't want to keep doing it on our own. Father, would you let faith rise up in this room? We pray for chains to be broken. We pray for people that are bound by the enemy in some form to be set free today. We pray against addiction. We pray over depression and over loneliness and over comparison and all the battles that we face. We give them to you, Lord. Well, before we, before we sing, I just want to, I want to make one invitation that is so important. Maybe you're here today and more than anything, you know that you need to get right with God. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. I've already said this, but the purpose of Jesus more than anything was you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He loves you. He wants to save every person from an eternal separation from God. He wants you to have eternal, eternity with him in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, Jesus said this, that no one comes to the Father, no one comes to heaven except through me. The scriptures also say that anyone who would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead will be saved. And if today you want to do that, I want to give you the opportunity. It's really simple. It's a moment of confession and surrender where we confess that Jesus is Lord. We surrender our life to him. We say, Lord, my ways are wrong. The world's ways are wrong. All those things. I just want, I just want to follow your ways. We won't be perfect. We're all just beginners. But we can be surrendered to him. Jesus come to save you and to give you life. To save you from suffering and evil. So if you want to say yes to Jesus and get right with God, I just want to invite you to that. You can just pray a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's, not a, it's just a prayer of surrender. It's just a simple prayer that just says, Lord, I'm opening my heart to you. And remember where we started. Jesus comes and says, behold, I stand and I knock at the door. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and I will eat with them. I will be with them. 
If Jesus is standing and knocking at the door of your heart, all you got to do is open the door right now. Just pray this prayer if you're ready to receive Christ today. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Everyone's heads bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, I give you my life. Just pray that wherever you're at right now, just repeat that, Jesus, I give you my life. And now just say this. Say, I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. And then just say, Lord, I want to live for you for the rest of my life. I want to live for you for the rest of my life. I commit my life to you. Just say that to him. I commit my life to you. Now let's thank him. Say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed, just a just real brief moment of courage right here. No one's looking but me, but I just want to say a prayer for anybody that just prayed that. If you did that, would you, if you just prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand real quick? Just lift it up. I want to see. I see you. Thank you so much for your courage. Anybody else? Anybody else? Uh, yeah, thank you. Definitely a few hands in the room. Thank you so much, Jesus. I pray for those that just prayed this prayer, that, Lord, this moment would be sealed in their heart as a moment in which they surrendered their life to you, that the first battle has been won. Thank you, Jesus. Well, as we worship, this altar space is open. A prayer team will be here. If you want to come and drop those battles, just come on. There might be a lot of us doing it. Let's do it. Let's just allow the Lord to have his way today. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship and respond to the Lord? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.